Hey, um, before I jump right into the sermon here, um, I'm going to try to keep saying this, and I know it's up on the screen. It should be up on the screen too, but after each service, there will be prayer partners right over here on this side of my left side of the stage uh, every Sunday. So if you need prayer... Um, for whatever reason, they'll be up there after the service, go right up, and, uh, and you can get some, some people just pray around you. We are in a new series called Come and See. Come and See, and I'm excited. In the last series, we basically challenged you to take your next step in your spiritual growth, in your, in your spiritual journey. Um, we encouraged you... Um, as much as we could, to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, to become more like Jesus Christ. But then we started thinking, how are, how are people supposed to become more like Jesus Christ if they, they don't know what Jesus Christ was like? And, you know, sometimes you forget when you've been a believer for years and years and you're a pastor, if you've been a Christian for a long time, um, you, you think everybody understands and everybody knows and, and they don't. I mean, I remember going back as a young believer, you know, the first question I had when I went to a Bible study is, what are, the, what are these numbers in this book? There's a lot of numbers in this book. We forget those things. So before we can talk about, well, as we talk about conforming to the image of Jesus, becoming more like Jesus. We want to talk to you about what Jesus was like. Okay? Talk about his life. Start thinking about that. Start processing through that. Throughout the, throughout the Bible, Jesus encourages people. Over and over it says, come and see. And those who are followers of Jesus, they say, come and see. So that's what we're going to talk about coming and we're and seeing, following him, learning about him, learning from him and what he says and how he lived. So many people in the church, I think, go through the spiritual motions. Okay, they don't really see. They come in, they don't really see. They just glance. Um, this was about uh, maybe a week and a half ago. Um, I was at a play with for my grandkids. Two of my grandkids were in a play, and we were sitting there, and some of the other grandkids were there. And Eleanor was sitting next to me, and I was talking to Jen, and I was talking to some of the other adults, and we were in these conversations. And Eleanor said to me, Pops, look at my new shoes. And I glanced, and I said, oh, nice, nice, and looked away. And she stopped, and she says, no, really look. She said, actually look, Pops. Actually look. And I was like, I gotta, I gotta actually look here. So, you know, you say we, you glance. You know, I, I tried God. I tried Jesus. And you kind of glance. But when it comes to a relationship with Jesus Christ, it isn't a glance. It's actually looking. And that's what I want to challenge you to do this morning. Throughout this entire series, to actually look, to look. And I want to start with God's call to discipleship, Jesus' call to discipleship. What is he calling us to do? What is Jesus actually calling us to? Before we can be like him, we need to understand what it means to be his friend. What does it mean to be his, his follower? I think the 21st century church is losing its way. 
Really, it's losing its way. And I don't think it started, I'm saying the 21st century church. I don't think it started in the 21st century. I actually think it started in the 20th century. But I think we're losing our way. The early church understood what it meant, what it truly meant to follow him. To sacrifice yourself for other people. To invest in the lives of other people. To give of yourselves to other people. I think we've, we've kind of, we're losing our way. The early church understood the concept of radical self-sacrifice. You know, today people want to be uh, famous. They want to be well-known in the Christian world. And, and they want to be celebrities. And whether it's music or writing or speaking or people, Christians want to be celebrities. Ravi Zacharias, I heard him was speaking one time. And I heard him say that Christian celebrity is an oxymoron. And what he meant by that was the celebrities of old, okay, when Christians were celebrities, in, in, you know, in the, in the first century church, early on, they were martyrs. You knew about them because they had died. They were the ones who stepped out. They had radical discipleship. They were the ones who were willing to give their lives for Jesus Christ, and everyone knew about it. They were the celebrities, So we need to get back to understanding what it means to have radical discipleship, radical self-sacrifice. Let me share a story I found to illustrate. On a dangerous seacoast where shipwrecks were frequent, a crude little life-saving station was built. The building was just a hut and there was only one boat. But the few devoted crewmen kept a constant watch over the ocean, an area of the sea. With no thought for themselves, they went out day or night tirelessly searching for anyone who might need help. Many lives were saved by their efforts. After a while, the station became famous. Some of those who were saved, as well as others in the surrounding area, wanted to become part of this life-saving work. They gave time and they gave money for its support. New boats were bought. Additional crews were trained. And the little station grew. Some of the members became unhappy that the the building was so crude. They felt a larger, nicer place would be more appropriate as the first refuge for those saved from the sea. So they replaced the emergency cots and the hospital beds. And they put in better furniture in, in in the larger building. Soon the station became a popular gathering place for its members to discuss work and visit with one another. They continued to remodel and decorate until the station more and more took on the look and character of a club. Fewer members were interested in going out on life-saving missions, so they hired professional crews to do the work on their behalf. The life-saving motif still prevailed on the club's emblems and stationery, and there were ceremonial, there was a ceremonial lifeboat in the room where the club held its initiations. One day a large ship was wrecked off the coast, and the hired crews bought in, brought in many boatloads of cold, wet, half-drowned people. They were dirty, and they were bruised, and they were sick, and many were different from the people in the club. The beautiful new club was terribly messed up. And so the property committee immediately had a shower house built outside where the shipwreck victims could be cleaned up before coming inside. At the next meeting, there was a split in the church membership. 
and the club membership. Most of the members wanted to stop the club's life-saving activities altogether because they were so unpleasant and a hindrance to the normal social life of the club. Some members insisted on keeping life-saving as their primary purpose and pointed out that after all, they were still called a life-saving station. But those members were voted down and told if they, if they wanted to save lives, they could begin their own station somewhere down along the coast. As the years went by, the new station gradually faced the same problems and, and other, as the other one had experienced. It too became a club, and its life-saving work became less and less of a priority. A few members who remained dedicated themselves to life-saving. They in turn began, began another station. History continued to repeat itself, and if you visit the coast today, you'll find a number of exclusive clubs along the shore. Shipwrecks are still frequent in those waters, but most of the people just drown. That, to me, often, often, not all the time, represents the 21st century church. We are called to be a life-saving station, but many churches have turned into uh, social clubs with a desire to entertain its attenders. The goal is entertainment. How do we entertain the masses? And, you know, it's so easy for us to start thinking, yeah, those mega churches. Not pointing any fingers at megachurches. There are some fantastic megachurches. We, the church as a whole, have forgotten in many cases our primary purpose, our primary objective, our primary mission, which is to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind and all of our strength and to love our neighbors as ourselves, to go out and impact the lives of the people around us. The Bible, the Bible says that Jesus, knowing he was about to die, knowing he was going to die chose 12 disciples he chose 12 people he picked them to be his disciples right first he picked them and then he equipped them he picked them he equipped them and then he convinced them that through his power through his power they could continue his dynamic work after he was gone so he called them he called them to be his followers and then he and then he basically equipped them to do the work of the ministry and then and then he convinced him that remember we talked about this last week it's Easter right we're talking about the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and we come on Easter to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ yay Jesus rose from the grave but what does that mean day to day for us it means the power of the resurrected Jesus Christ flows through our veins. It means that God, God, through His power, through the Holy Spirit, has gifted every single one of us. And through the power of Jesus Christ, rolling away the stone, ro- raising from the dead, that power works in and through us. And we are called by God as individuals within the entire body of Christ to use the gifts, the talents, the abilities, the treasures, all of those things to glorify God and to further His kingdom. That's why we exist. That's why we exist. 
So he picked them to be his disciples. He equipped them and then he convinced them. And part of our problem is that we are not convinced. We are not convinced that we can actually do the things that Jesus was doing when he was here on earth. Even though he said we could. Even though he said he'll do miracles through us, through his body. This is the body of Christ. Guess who the head is? Christ. And he works through every single one of us. And we need to be convinced of that reality. He called them, he called them to establish life-saving stations. He called them to reach out to those who were drowning, those who were lost. And he calls us to do the same. God is calling us to do the same. Throughout this series, my goal will be to help you, to convince you, to encourage you to become more like Jesus Christ and to continue his life-giving and life-saving work. Because we can. That's why. Because we can. God has gifted every single one of us for something uniquely different. We can work with each other in some areas because we have similar differences, similar similar giftedness, but there's different uniqueness in each person the way God's created us. And working together, we're a piece of a puzzle that comes together to show a beautiful tapestry, if you will. And God wants to do that through us. In Matthew chapter 4, in verse 18, we read this. While walking by the Sea of Galilee... He saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. The first First thing Jesus does is call. But if we look even closer here, we find that there, there, are, there are three distinct callings that I, that I want to pull out this morning. Three distinct callings. First is the call to the gospel. The call to salvation. God wants us, Jesus Christ wants to be in a personal relationship with every single person in this room. It's a call to salvation. Now, this was not the first time that these men had, had met Jesus, had interacted with Jesus. Their first encounter was in John chapter 1. And in John chapter 1, John the Baptist is saying, look, there's Jesus. And they start to follow him. And they say to Jesus, where are you staying? And Jesus says, come and see. Come and see. He didn't turn around and have a conversation. Well, down the road a little bit and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, it's a nice little place. You know, I'm not a good place to sleep. He said, come and see. Follow me. Learn from me. Don't glance at me. Okay, Christianity. Let's just make this absolutely clear. Christianity is not about glancing at Jesus Christ. It's about following Jesus Christ with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind and all of your strength. When you say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, that's what you're signing up for. He says, jump, you say, exactly, okay? There's no glancing. My, 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 my little granddaughter taught me that. No, actually look. And that's what I want us to do during this series, to actually look. 
He says, come, come with me and see. In verse 40, he says, it says that Andrew says to Simon, who's Peter, he says, Peter, we have found him of whom the prophet spoke. We have found the Messiah. Jesus is calling people into a personal relationship with him. Jesus is inviting people into his life. He's inviting people into his life. He's inviting them to come. He's inviting them to see, to experience, to truly know what it means to be a follower of his. Not to dabble, not to try it out, not to glance, but to follow. He calls, we follow, we become disciples of his. The second call, here's the thing. Well, I I kind of mentioned this already, but I want to say it again. Before I move on to the second part, there, there is, you don't glance at Jesus. And this is important. You don't just glance at Jesus. You either follow him or you don't. There's something I remember Jesus saying about if you're lukewarm, right, I'm going to spit you out. You don't glance. You don't try it out. You either follow him or you don't. Second call is a call to discipleship. It's called to be a learner. It's investing, right? So we have justification. We've given our lives to Jesus Christ. And then there's a sanctification, which is an ongoing process of learning. And there's a much larger group here when they started, the disciples started to follow Jesus, a much larger group. But then Jesus basically chooses 12. Then there were the 12. And Luke says that he called the 12 whom he also called apostles. Jesus was inviting them into his life. And he spent a lot of time with this unique group of people. Okay? He spent a lot of time with this unique group of of, of people. They followed him around. Wherever Jesus went, there you could find the disciples. Okay, what he said, what he did. Can you imagine, the Bible doesn't give us every detail. Can you imagine all that he was teaching? Every time he said something, it had value. Every, I mean, if you think about this, 93% of communication is, is, is facial expressions, body language. Right? Only 7% of communication is verbal. Can you imagine following Jesus? That's why he said, come and see. His facial expressions, his body language, what he was saying in every area of his life. So he was investing deeply and, and intimately into the life of these 12 people. They followed him everywhere. I love, and I love who he calls. I, you know, I was processing through this. I love who Jesus ends up calling. He picked a few fishermen. He didn't pick the most powerful and influential people. This is why I know the Bible is completely true. If you wanted to start a religion, you wouldn't write this. You wouldn't. I'm telling you, you'd write everything you'd write would be to to appeal to a person's nature and desires and longings or whatever else. And it would basically tell you what you want to hear because you get more people to follow. God's like, here's what I'm saying. If you don't like it, I don't care. This is truth, okay? I'm not interested in tickling your ears. I'm telling you truth. Why? Because I love you so much. And what I'm telling you is going to give you the best life to live. And so God writes what is true, not what Jeff Greer would like to hear. So they're following him around and he picks, he picks fishermen. He picks fishermen. 
I, I, I want you to think about it for a second. Why would he choose fishermen? What is unique about fishermen? Now, he picked other people, too, but I just want to I just want to focus on fishermen for a second. What's unique about fishermen that he would pick them? Um, a few thoughts. First, fishermen are, pain, are, are, are patient and relentless. Sometimes they're really patient and they're always relentless. I mean, fishermen, they are relentless. I, I was not all and not all fishing people are that way. I, I was fishing with my grandkids and Layla for the first time. She came out. She wanted to fish too. It was like three or four of us lined up and we all had poles. And I have a catching pond. I don't have a fishing pond. It's a catching pond. Okay, you throw a line and you're going to catch something. So Layla comes down and she goes fishing with us and we're kind of lined up. And Layla's way of fishing is whatever pole has a fish on it, that becomes her pole. Okay. <laughs> So if you've got a fish, she runs over, she, she has your pole, and then if she's done, when we're done taking it off the hook, whatever, if that person has a fish, she runs, and then, then she takes that pole. And she was, and it, basically what was going on here was no weight fish catching. That's her style of fishing. No weight fish catching. Alright? Whatever pole had the fish on it, that became my pole. It's perfect. But fishermen, if you will, they're patient, okay? If you've ever fished for going out at night, maybe fishing for catfish, you know that sometimes you have to sit there for hours and wait for that big one to bite. It takes hours. And you also, you have to be relentless. You can't give up. You've got to keep trying. You've got to keep trying. Second, fishermen need courage. All right. Now, especially we're talking about the disciples here. They had to have courage. In those days, in those days their little boats... Um, could, couldn't really take the pounding of the waves and that were crashing against them. It was really difficult for these small boats to take the pounding. And we're talking about the Sea of Galilee. On the Sea of Galilee, there would be, tre- there would be tremendous storms that would come up. And the fishermen couldn't go. Well, you know, like, like, for, like me. I, you know, I'm looking out the window. Eh, it's raining. I don't want to go. Or, you know, we're going to go down to Kentucky. We're going to go wherever you go fishing. And you look outside and you check the, you check your phone. Ah. A little chilly. Nah, I don't want to go, right? They couldn't do that. They had, to, they had to have the courage, honestly, to go out there. You ever watch those shows like The Deadliest Catch or whatever else? You go out when the, the crabs or the fish are there. You don't, well, you know, guys, I'm looking out there a little choppy. You go. You have to go. This was their livelihood. And they knew the Sea of Galilee was tough, but they went out. And if a storm came up, they had to face it. They needed to have courage. They needed to have courage. And I'll tell you something. If you want to follow Jesus Christ, if you want to serve like him, if you, if you want to love like him, you need to have that courage because working with people um, is not always easy. Shocking as it may sound to all of you. Okay? Working with people is not always easy. It is not always convenient. And it is emotionally painful. In many cases, it's just emotionally painful because you need, as a follower of Jesus Christ, if we want to conform to the image of Jesus Christ, if we want to be more like Jesus, Jesus was not an outside observer of our pain. He was a participant with us in our pain. So if I want to become more like Jesus Christ, if you're going through something in your life, what, what I need to do is I, ch- I need to try to enter into your suffering. And that's difficult. 
But it's a, it's, it's a better way to pray when I think, what, what would I feel like if that happened, if that were my spouse? What would I, what if that were my child? What if that were my whatever? What if that were my best friend? When you go through your things, when we enter into each other's suffering, it allows us to pray more fervently, more passionately, because that's what Jesus did. He enters, He does now. He enters it, whatever you're going through, Jesus is enter into it. In, entering into your suffering. He's not an outside observer of your suffering. He's there with you through it all. And that's how we need to be. That's how we need to live, as difficult as that may be. Third, you need to have knowledge. You need to have knowledge and the ability to adapt. Fishermen know how, real fishermen know how to fish. They have knowledge of each fish species and they know how to catch them and they're they have the ability to adapt to changing environments to to stream currents all kinds of things all kinds of weather they adapt to their situation you need to know what bet what is the best bait to use for specific fish and if one bait is not working i was fishing with a friend this week and we were throwing things out there and throwing things out there and, and we picked up a few rocks and we took some found some worms right because Whatever we were using, little fake things, weren't working. So we put some worms on there. It wasn't like a, a bonanza, but we, we caught something because we changed up the bait. If this is not working, I need to have the knowledge to know, ah, most fish will bite this, and I need to adapt to my environment so that I can catch what I'm trying to catch. That's what the fishermen were able to do. That's why Jesus was saying, hey, you guys are experts at this. I'm going to turn this around. I'm going to make you fishers of men. The same skill that you use to do this I'm going to use to do something even more important fishermen fishermen often need unorthodox strategies in order to be successful think about that think about that as it relates to the church think about that as it relates to your life fishermen need unorthodox strategies in order to accomplish their goal I found a news story that makes my point perfectly After a slow start, a fisherman in Texas was able to reel in a huge bass, not with a worm, with a McDonald's chicken McNugget. The unusual form of bait landed Matthew McNellis and his girlfriend a giant bass, weighing just under 11 pounds and measuring 24 and a half inches long. McNellis says he took the bass to Highview Marina south of Dallas, where it was declared a record-setting catch at Lake Bardwell. It was actually his girlfriend who suggested they use the chicken nugget as bait, and it worked. Largemouth bass usually feed on small fish, so the couple could have used fish McBites. But I'm sure the chicken nugget was a happy meal and a welcome change for the fish. After snapping a few picks and getting its measurements, they threw it back into the lake. McNellis says when it comes to his next fishing trip, he may try using some of Wendy's seasoned fries as bait. The fish in that lake are eating well. So there you go, right? So if we want to be more, think about this. Paul said, follow my example as what? As I follow the example of Jesus Christ. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. If we want to be more like Jesus, we need to learn more about the people who are around us. If we want to reach out with love, with the love of Jesus Christ to people at school or at work, wherever, we need, okay, we need to be people who understand the people around us. We need to understand them so we can better reach out and serve them. I love this passage in first in first Corinthians chapter nine and verse 19. It says, this is Paul. He says, though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone 
to win as many as possible. Then in verses 22 and 23, it continues. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this all for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessing. Jesus took these qualities of fishing in the Sea of Galilee and translated them into reaching out with love to other people. That's what he wants to do with us. That's what he wants to do. He wants us to use what he has given to us to make an impact. We say we are followers of Jesus Christ. What did Jesus do? Jesus, the Bible says, knew it was in a person. So Jesus could walk into this room without ever... Oh, he knows you from the beginning of eternity. But Jesus could walk into the room. He would know every single person in the room, every hair on their head. And he would know why you act the way you act. Why you do what you do. Why you feel how you feel. Why you're you're struggling with what... What you're struggling with, he'd know it all because he's God. He knows what's in a person's mind. He knows what's in a person's heart. Paul did not know. What did Paul do? Paul said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. So then Paul, what Paul does is he goes into a culture and he studies the culture. And he says, as some of your own poets have said, how would he know what their poets have said? He studied their culture. That's why he said, I have become all things to all men. Why? To win as many as possible. That's what Jesus wants us to do. He wants to take all of our experiences, all of who we are, all of our personality. He wants to take that and he wants to use it and say to us, he said to fishermen, I'll make you fishers of men. What did he say to farmers? He talked about vines and seeds and branches, something they understood. He will use whatever knowledge and gift that he has given to you throughout your life in order for you to become a follower of his and to reach and in, reach out with love okay to other people that's his goal that's his goal he can use your gifts he can use your talents he can use your abilities he can use your treasures to impact the world for him and may i be bold enough to say that if you are not using your gifts and your talents and your abilities and your treasures to build the kingdom of god then you are sinning Against God, okay? If you're not using what He has given you, you're sinning against God. Your, your, your reason for existence is to worship the Lord our God, okay? To glorify Him, okay? To worship and glorify Him, and to, and to treat others the way you would want to be treated yourself. And beyond that, to consider others better than yourselves. That is what God has called us to do if we say we're a follower of His. You know, there's two kinds of churches. I said in the beginning, I think churches are going in the wrong direction. There's the service church, and then there's the serve us church. Service and serve us. The service church says, okay, we need to be a life-saving station. Everything we do needs to be to build the kingdom of God. That's service church. A serve us church is a social club. It's a social club. You are here to serve me. What are you doing for me? This program's not good enough for me. This is not well enough. I think we should, because you guys have to, it's a serve us church. And if you don't serve us, we'll find a place that does. There's a difference. When we, the day we started Grace Chapel, I said to Deb, I said, we will never be a serve us church. We will always be a service church because that's what God has called us to do. We are all in the life saving station or the lifeboat. We know we all need to be in it together. We all need to be in this together. 
It's not about what I can do for you. It's about what we can do, all of us together as the body of Christ. You have just freed me up to use my gifts so that I can build the kingdom of God. That's what you do when you tithe. You free me up to be full-time using my gifts. But every single one of us, okay, is called to be a minister. Every member is a minister. And every person should have a specific job that they're doing within the body of Christ. The third call is a call to significance. The call to significance. Luke 5, 1 through 11 says, One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowded around him and listening to the word of God. He, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deeper water. This is such an amazing passage. I'm going to do a sermon just on this. Put out into deeper water and let down the nets for a catch. Basically, put out in deeper water. Let it not, not let it down. See if we get something. Let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've been working hard all night and haven't caught a thing. But because you say so, you say jump, I say how high. It doesn't say that. I'm just putting it in there. I will let down the nets. When they, had, when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled for their partners to come in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at, his, at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For, for, for he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything and followed him. As you read this passage, you realize that Jesus here, Jesus was calling these men to significance. He was calling them to something more. He was calling them to something better. It's not that fishing was a bad trade. They could be tradesmen and still glorify God with their, with their lives. But Jesus was calling them specifically to use those gifts for something more significant. You can be a doctor. You can be a lawyer. You can be an Indian chief. It doesn't really matter. You need to use those gifts to the glory of God or they have no significance if you're not using what God has given you in every area of your life whatever you're not using okay whenever you're not using those things to glorify God they have no purpose when you get to heaven say well, look at all the things I did it will count for nothing only what's done for Jesus Christ is going to last So he takes these fishermen and he uses their gifts for a greater purpose, investing in the lives of other people. He says, I will make you fishers of men. I will take your gifts, your talents, your abilities, all that you've learned, and I will use them to make you fishers of men. He invited them. This is so amazing. This is so cool. Don't miss this, okay? Because every single one of us is invited to the same thing. He invited them to serve by his side as a part of God's epic story. This is, this is what's great about being a disciple. God is inviting me. He's inviting you to stand by his side, to walk by his side so that he can teach you and you can be a part of God's epic story. 
And that's what he wants for every single person in this room. He takes, again, he takes our gifts and he takes our talents and he takes our abilities, our personal experiences, our, our, our personalities, if you will, all those things. He takes them all and he uses them for a greater purpose. He uses your personality for a greater purpose. He uses your gifts for a greater purpose. He uses your experiences for a greater purpose. He uses your abilities for a greater purpose. He uses everything that makes us who we are for a greater purpose. That's what he does. Jesus is leading this body called Grace Chapel. Okay, He's leading this body to something dynamic. He is leading this body of believers to something meaningful. His call to discipleship is radical. It is a radical call to discipleship. Something that the 21st century church is losing. It's losing. We, we measure everything. Well, I'm not sure we should do this. I'm not really sure about that. Well, look at that. Those people are dirty and they're different and they're this. Well, I'm not sure we should be reaching out. This is, this is a nice kind of place. Why should we? And we're losing that radical discipleship. He is calling people together. He's calling a group of people together who are willing to sacrifice regardless of the cost. Hear what I'm saying. Please hear the words that I'm saying. When you are a follower of Jesus Christ, he is calling you to radical discipleship regardless of the cost. Regardless of what it costs us as a church, regardless of what it costs us as individuals. Grace Chapel, my friends, is a church where God is calling a group of people, okay, who are willing first to change themselves so that they can change the world. That's what God is doing here. In our last series, we talked about it, right? Whether you're a seeker or you're a person going through and becoming, you want to become more like Jesus Christ. God is working in that direction. God is helping us to grow in that direction. Why? He wants us to change ourselves because once we're changed, once we're conformed in the image of Christ, we then can change the world. And this church is on the move. We have a vision that is absolutely clear. And like Jesus, our strategy is unorthodox. Sometimes people will ask, why do you, why does your church, why do you work a center? Why do you do this? Why are you doing that? Why are you involved in this? Why are you involved in business? Why are you involved? Because we have an, an orthodox strategy. We're going to use the gifts and talents and, and, and abilities of every single member of this church that we call Jesus Christ to reach our community, to reach our nation, and to reach our world. That's our goal, to make an impact in the world that God has called us to. Sunday morning, this gathering is only one connecting point. We're going to use this facility that we have. Now, some of you have never even been over there in this building. That building's three times as big as this one. Soccer fields, all kinds of things going on over there. You've never even been there. you got the Orca Center even further down. All these facilities, all these buildings, we're going to use them every single day and in every single way to reach our community with the love of Jesus Christ. That is our goal. We're in the process of changing the outside of every building pretty much on this campus to make it more inviting and make it easier for people who are coming to visit and for you to navigate 
So this, this, this wall out here on the outside of the building, one of the classrooms is coming out and there'll be a glass wall there with double doors and, do- doors and a foyer so the wind doesn't just blow through here. But you'll know, by the time we're finished with this, you'll know how to get into this building. Well, m- most of you told me when you first started coming here, you followed the crowd. You had no way, you had no way to know how to get into the building. Right, because there's so many different doors and so many, it looks, you know. Same thing with the Grace Impact Center, a glass frame door there, one entryway in that goes in different directions. Same thing with the Orca Center, same thing. To make it easier to navigate for people to feel more comfortable coming into this facility. We're expanding the Orca Center right now so that we have a, more of an ability to reach out to those who are in the marketplace. We want to be known in our community as a place where you can come and if your business is failing we can help you succeed and these aren't dreams these have already happened we want to be known in the community as a place where you can come and learn how to do marketing for your business you can learn how to do sales for your business you can learn all of these things because there are people in this room with the giftedness to reach out and impact the people's lives who are in our community who are doing business and the orca centers are a place for them to come and learn and grow and we build those relationships by meeting people's felt needs so that God gives us the privilege to maybe meet their spiritual needs as well. We are going to build in the next year or so a commercial kitchen in the Grace Impact Center in the back. And that commercial kitchen, why do we need a commercial kitchen? Because it will allow us more opportunities to do jobs training for people. There are people who need jobs. We can do jobs training in that building. We can teach classes on cooking and nutrition for people who are in the, in the, in the food pantry. We'll have classes for people to take those, those foods and make nutritious meals for their families. I was talking to the person who's in charge of entrepreneurship for the Butler County, and they were saying, if you had a facility like that, I could fill it with people who are in the business community who desperately need space to make their cupcakes or their pies or their whatever they are to cater and go out and sell. We could reach out in that way and bring people in. We can help people who are coming out of prison and trying to get back into the workforce with that commercial kitchen. It creates so many opportunities for community outreach. This campus is now Mason's Farmer's Market. We are partnered with our community, with our town. They're going to be sending police over here. The first one is this coming Wednesday, and it's going to be called the Orca Market. It's like a street fair. It's going to be fantastic. Make sure you come. Make sure you're a part of that because it's our way to reach out to our community. But we're partnering with the police. We're partnering with the town. They're promoting it on their websites. They're promoting it in their materials. They're promoting what we're doing because we're trying to do it with our community. We've been asked by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services okay, in Washington, D.C., to look for ways, we're, they're asking us to look at ways that we can create jobs and develop entrepreneurship for people coming out of prison and who are coming off addiction to opioids. They found out what we were doing and called and emailed and said, can you come out and be a part of this forum that we're picking 40 or 50 people from out the United States? And they asked me and I said, I'm no expert on opioid addiction. I understand it, but I'm no expert. 
They said, we don't need you to be an expert on that. We need you to come out and to talk about what your church is doing in the area of economic development, creating jobs, developing entrepreneurs, incubating and accelerating business. We've heard what you're doing. Can you come out and share that and inspire other people in the faith-based community and also in community development? There's different people coming in from hospitals, different community development people. Can you share with them what you all are doing because we We've heard about the success that you've had. That's the United States government. We're working with the federal government of Nigeria and right now and the United Nations to solve an ecological and economic disaster in the state of Kano where they have tanneries and the tanneries are destroying their water supply. They're polluting their water supply. And through one of our business trees, a technology business tree that we have, we were able to come up with a solution. And we can take that solution and they're building a 20 or $30 million water processing plant where all the tannins run through and we'll use our solution to solve the problem they have with that ecological disaster. Now, stick with me for a second, okay? Yeah, you can clap for the Lord. Yeah, clap for God. Okay, now, I want you to think about, I have stood up here for years and I said to you, Man, I want to walk across the water. I want to pass through the sea. That's what we should be desiring. I want to face the giants. I want to take on the lions. Kano is near Niger, if I'm right up in the map. There are 10 million people in that state. There are 4 million people who are affected by this disgusting smell that they have to deal with. Their eyes are watering, can't drink the water. It's hard for the people to go outside. Can you imagine that? You ever been next to a pulp mill and and the, the smell? Picture that times 10. Imagine going in there as a follower of Jesus Christ in a company that is glorifying God and solving the problem for 4 million people. And those people are Muslim. Okay. There's a dividing line in Nigeria where 90% are Christian and 90% are Muslim. This is way over here. You say, ooh, we shouldn't go in there. See what I mean? Why not? God's given us an opportunity to reach out, maybe to meet other felt needs that these people have. For maybe, maybe they need medical, medical issues. Maybe there's other social issues that we can come in. We don't have to take our Bibles, walk in there and start preaching the gospel. What we need to do is go in there as God leads us and meet their felt needs. There are children all over the place with no one taking care of them. Can we take care of them? Right? I'm sure there are lots of widows. I'm sure there are people without jobs. I'm sure there are people who are suffering. And if you're the person who comes in, if you're the people who came in and solved the problem for four million people, my friends, if, if, if the UN and the Nigerian government, who are both full bore on this, the money's been set aside already, okay? If they go through this process, all right? <laughs> That what an opportunity to share the love of Jesus Christ with people we'd never be able to do that with before. And if we don't take that opportunity, we need, to, we need to take a hard look in the mirror and ask, are we truly disciples of Jesus Christ? I, I got a question for you. Are you ready, honestly, because what I just described to you is just the tip of the iceberg. I can't honestly have the time to do it. Are you ready to walk on water are you all content to just watch from the shore? There's the question. Are you ready to try to walk on water 
with what God is calling us to do in this nation, in our community, in our, in our, and, and around the world. Are you ready to try to walk on water as a church? Are you all content? I can ask myself. I'm a part of you all. Are you content to just watch what God could do from the shore? You know, we will only scratch the surface as a church. We will only scratch the surface if we become a social club of what God wants to do through us. We'll only be able to scratch the surface. We'll only be able to watch from the shore if we become a social club instead of a life-giving station. My last question, bow your heads with me as we pray, but I want to ask this one last question before I pray. We're going to only scratch the surface. We're going to only be outside observers If we're more concerned, ask yourself, am I more concerned with my comfort or my calling? There's the question. I'm asking myself that question. I'm with you all. Am I more concerned about my comfort or am I more concerned about my calling? Because Jesus is calling us to radical discipleship. I hate to break the bad news. No one who is a follower of Jesus Christ is called to anything less than radical discipleship. I don't know what that looks like for you. All I know is God is opening up doors for us to do things that are literally miraculous. And I have no intention of standing on the shoreline and watching. The question is, who's going to follow? Father God, we do not want to be people who are remembered for stepping back. We don't want to be remembered for people who cowered in fear. We want to be remembered for people who are relentless, who have courage, who have a spirit, who have the spirit of the living God in them. And Lord God, if it means taking on lions, if it means taking on giants, if it means trying to pass through the sea, if it means walking on water, whatever it takes, just call us, Lord, call us. Give us that opportunity. And we'll show you the disciples that you've called. We will show you who we are by the way we live our lives. Give us that opportunity. We open up these vessels, Lord, and ask you, use us. Use us. We pray these things in Jesus' precious, holy, and awesome, majestic, amazing name. Amen. Love you. Have a great week.